You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. I have the privilege as we go into our time of preaching this morning um, to do the last sermon through this short letter, but power-packed letter that this man, the Apostle Paul, wrote to this church in Philippi. And it's called Philippians, uh, the letter's name. Uh, We've been looking at different ideas of what does it mean to be a church, uh, even through hard situations, but be able to find joy. And again, I have the pleasure to give our final sermon through Philippians 4, through the end of the chapter. Um, And I'm, I'm talking about the secret to contentment today. No secret there. That's what we're talking about so as we do that, let me read the passage for us, and you can follow along as it's, as it's shown there. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And, uh, you know, this whole quarantine coronavirus, it it hasn't been fun. Um, It's been tragic for many people, but just even on a normal basis, it's made life challenging and difficult as we flex, even as churches. Um, And again, this is not a statement on whatever beliefs, but I'm just looking forward to the day when the church can physically meet again as we were intended to. Um, But I do do acknowledge that it's been pretty crazy um, and Dude, I'm just saying how old I am by these things. I'm like continually shocked that we have the means to be able to like be with one another, even if not physically in the flesh, through virtual means, through Zoom meetings and through uh, Facebook Lives. And I mean, yeah, I'm just, it feels like the Jetsons to me. And even as I say Jetsons, some of you are like, what's that mean? I'm I'm dating myself, but it seems crazy that even as we're distanced, we can feel connected. But for Paul, in a world without these forms of communication and connection, um, he couldn't know how the church was doing in Philippi. But what happens as we see in verse 18 is his friend Epaphroditus, he visits bringing good news from his friends in Philippi. And here is Paul's deep joy that just grounds him is, man, they really believe the gospel. They really get it. They really have taken to heart this gospel, this good news. So how does Paul know that they believe the gospel? Because they don't just send kind thoughts and prayers as as good as as, as those are, but they also send financial gifts for him through Epaphroditus. 
And, and that's, that's important because in those days when you were in prison, um, your friends and your families were the ones that you depended on to take care of you for financial means, for support. Uh, and the thing is, this is not new about the Philippians. That This church has supported Paul in the past as he writes there as a church planting missionary. And, and as he describes in verse 15 and on, sometimes they were the only church that was supporting him. In verse 17, it clearly shows why Paul is so full of joy. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. For Paul, this church's sacrificial generosity to him, it's evidence of the deep faith in Christ that this church has. And that's what Paul means in verse 18. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. For Paul, this is not just about fulfilling his needs as, as real as it is. This is worship to God. And it's why at our church in the village, we tend to talk fairly openly about giving, even in our financial gifts, because ultimately for us, it's not just about paying the bills. It's an issue of worship to God. When we give of our means and sometimes our lack of means, we're saying, expressing weekly, regularly, we trust you, Lord. You're the one who has our lives in your hands. We give to you, not because you need anything, but this is a worship, a fragrant offering to you because our generosity reflects what we worship. Our generosity reflects what we worship. And here's the thing, worship to God it's never just a vertical thing, but it's intimately connected to love for his people. Love for people. As we read here, the people's worshipful devotion to the Lord, it's demonstrated practically in their tangible support of their friend Paul while he's in prison. And I just, I want to emphasize this because I think sometimes there are some stereotypes that we need to combat. The people of God were never intended to be a stingy people. The people of God were always meant to be open-handed, generous, big-hearted, to share what the Lord has blessed us with, however much God might be generous to us, to share those things. So just as an aside, and I just want to hit this really quickly here, as an aside, you know, we're, we're in the midst of heightened fervor around the subject of racial justice. Um, and to be clear, I want to be really clear here, God, I don't like hate mail, I'm cool with expressions like hashtags and protests. Uh, I, I'm cool with that. I think they actually can make a genuine impact. But what I, what I want to suggest is may our passion against injustice also include the space of our bank accounts. Not just in word, not just in like fervor of like, but may it also be reflected in the real parts of who we are that reflect our, what's important to us. Our, our means, our finances. So practically, um, I think all of you are aware, we know small businesses are struggling during these times. And on that note, I saw an article in the Times just this week, the New York Times, that were discussing some of the systemic reasons why black-owned small businesses are having a, even a, of a more of a difficult time than any other ethnic group right now. And this is just an idea. This is not like a mandate, like you have to do this or you're not a real Christian or we're going to take away your partnership in the village. Um, but maybe one way to show that you truly advocate for black lives, if that's, if that's your lane, is to support black businesses. Even the many in our own great city here in Baltimore. 
and, and really clear, not out of a paternalistic charity mindset, but more a loving desire to work towards greater equity with the means that God might have gifted each one of you. To share, to be generous, to reflect that the gospel is true in you. You know how generous God has been with you. So nothing is really yours. It's meant to be dispersed and shared. So as we get back to this passage, Paul's thankful. I mean, he's not, he's, he's real thankful, but he's also using this as a final teaching point um, on the larger focus of this letter on what it means to experience true joy in Jesus Christ. Because Paul makes it clear that he's, as, he's grateful for their gifts, but it, it's not because in need, he's in need. Um, it's not because he was suffering. He's like, oh man, if no one comes through with some support, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. He's not in need. Why? How can he say such an outlandish statement? Um, I mean, one practical reason is he wants to make sure that they know he's not in this for the money. And in those times, there were some, there was a culture of, of wandering teachers and philosophers who would sell their ideas because it sounded so good. You know, people loved hearing it. So they're like, yo, I can make some coin off this. And they would sell their ideas and travel around. And unfortunately, even today, we see that some folks um, who, who say they represent God, they're almost like they operate like traveling salesmen, exchanging the good news of God for their own benefit and gain. And I want to call that out as just very shady. The word shady is not found in the Bible, but that's shady, right? But for Paul, that's true. But this goes even beyond him demonstrating his integrity. He, he genuinely believes he doesn't need those gifts as great as they are. As it says, starting in verse 11, follow with me. In whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned a secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And yo, the thing I appreciate about Paul is, yo, he's a nerd. The man can write like epic letters. Like some of you grammar nerds are like, yo, his writing is horrible because it's just one like run on sentence. He's a scholar, but as much as he's a scholar, he didn't learn this secret of how to be content writing away these letters in some uh, ivory tower room. His deep satisfaction with Jesus it was forged in the real furnace of life. So when he says he, he, that he knows what it means to be low and high, um, what it means to have a lot, to have nothing, that's from his life experience. This was not a hypothetical for him because Paul knows what it means to live life at the top. He was a man who once God transformed his life, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he experienced tremendous spiritual authority and power. There was something about Paul when he said things, when he did things, when he used the word of God, lives changed, things happened throughout his life and his ministry. For example, I mean, there's so many examples. One example, Acts 14, it describes Paul in doing ministry in a city called Lystra. And it tells a story of this man disabled from birth who, who Paul basically says, get on your feet and walk. And he heals him. And, and people are so amazed that they start to call him and his partner Barnabas, they start to call them the gods Zeus and Hermes as if their gods have come to life in the form of these men. They were so astounded. 
And I just imagine how amazing it would have been to experience these mass city revivals like Paul did. So don't get it twisted. Paul knows what it means to have his success abound. But as great as his success was, he also knows what it means to go through the fires of despair. 2 Corinthians 11, another letter of Paul's, he famously lifts off some of these sufferings. Starting in verse 23, halfway through, it says, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Only once, but three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And, you know, I work with a lot of uh, pastors and church planters who are looking to start new churches. And, and oftentimes they'll see, yeah, I want to be part of, move. I want to see a movement like the book of Acts. I'm like, which movement in Acts? You mean that like shipwrecked one or all those dangers that got listed off or the beatings? I mean, only one stony. I mean, that movement? Um, Paul knows what it means to be on top of the world. He also knows what it means to suffer. So how in the world can Paul say what he does here? What is Paul's secret of contentment? Here it is. You can have everything or you can have nothing. But if you have Christ, you have all you need. Let me repeat that. You can have everything or you can have nothing. But if you have Christ, you truly have all you need. And it puts in verse 13, proper perspective. And this is a famous one. I call these like coffee mug verses because always all the Christian bookstores sell these in coffee mugs, right? But verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I love this verse. It's inspirational. Oftentimes you hear it from like Olympic athletes who believe in the Lord, who are like getting ready to conquer their, their goal. You know, you read from people who are like, man, it like make a great Under Armour commercial, right? I just get hyped thinking about it. The only thing is that's not the proper context of where this verse is coming from. Because the context is you're sitting in prison. You're writing about the hope you have. You're writing about really having nothing. You've experienced highs, you're in the lows, but still you can be content. That's what verse 13 is talking about. Even when I'm there, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is written from the seat of loss. And, and it just got me thinking as I reflected a little bit more that one of our challenges, I think, for some of us is learning not to look at God's kingdom and his ways through the lens of our world. Because the world says, if they think even about a church in the city, for instance, the world says, if you and your church have materially poor people amongst you, um, they really need the materially wealthy people. Like that's what a church should exist for, like a multicultural church like the village. You should exist so all the people with means, they can help out the pitiful people without means. 
Like that's, that should be the beautiful church. And there's some truth to that. We are called to carry one another's burdens. I think that's real. But the kingdom says it's not a one-way street. It's not just that some people need help from the others. And I would actually suggest sometimes we need to flip that whole paradigm upside down because those with less in this world's economy, this world's value system, those who many might look upon with pity or feeling bad and, and, and look at their hardships, um, I would say that the kingdom suggests to us that when we understand the gospel, they actually have much to teach those with means because... Um, they know what it means to confess Philippians 14 with the full conviction of life experience. That by this world's measures, they might say, I don't have very much, but if I have Christ, I can persevere with joy through this life's journey. And, and I'll be, if that's some of you even watching this, if I can encourage you, despite poverty, despite illness, despite loss of various means, when you keep trusting God, my faith is challenged and enriched because I recognize sometimes a faith that I don't have. Because I see people and even many who walked in our church who really in the world's eyes are, are deeply devoid of what we would consider valuable, yet they are regularly worshiping God, praising him, saying simple things like, Man, he got me up again this morning. Real praise of God. So if that's you, I'm just so thankful for you and your presence in this church. And I want to just encourage you, keep testifying because many others in this church need to bear witness to your testimony. For all of us here, I, I, I hope this doesn't sound harsh. It's not meant to be. But many of us are not free. Many of us are not living in freedom because what happens is maybe you've bought into the notion that there is something out there that will fulfill you. And you've been searching and giving and working for it with all your might. It's the reason why some of you are in school till you've been in school more than you haven't been in school. It's the reason why some of you work like two full-time jobs at one, one employment place with all the hours you work. And the thing is, those things are not necessarily bad, but the problem is they're not God. And I hope that's not a new statement. We talk about that continually. There are so many beautiful, wonderful things that God's created. People, situations, means, all good things in and of themselves. But the problem is in our fallenness, we have, we have um, flipped the page, making those things God instead of God. And, and uh, the harsh tragedy of all those things, we would call them idols, but they'll keep asking for more and more from you, but never ultimately satisfy your soul in contentment. If anything, um, it'll steal your joy. And here's the secret, especially some of you youngins might not fully know yet. It actually gets worse as you get older. Because in your mind, I know some of you are thinking, you're sitting, if I just get past this stage of life, then I'll be content. I know I'm a stinker right now. I know I hate life. I know everyone hates being around me because I'm just always complaining and saying, I just need to get through this stage of life. I just need to get this next income level. I just need to find that person to marry. If I can just get that, then I will be content. And you know what happens? You actually start to get those things. And you realize it's not a having issue. It's a heart issue. 
In contrast, that's the bad news. In contrast, the good news is there is one who gives very generously, more generously than anyone who ever has, and his name is Jesus. And what he gave was, amongst many other things, his life in payment for yours. To bear the wrath of sin and rebellion in your place. To conquer sin and death through his sacrificial love. And and guys, he just invites you today, put your hope and trust in him. Receive the joy of abundant life that starts on this earth, but continues for all eternity. An abundant life that's not contingent upon whether you're on top of the world or whether you're in the dregs of life. Contentment to know that if you have Jesus, you truly have it all. Join me as we pray. Lord, I pray for my friends here, but also many who might be watching and participating from all points of our city and even beyond that. Lord, sometimes we think of needing the gospel if we've just been a bad person, and that's very true. But Lord, some of us, our need for the gospel is we've looked to this world to be our ultimate contentment when it can never satisfy like the one who promises to be with us even when we're sitting in a prison cell, even when we have nothing else left to be able to confess Jesus is enough. So I pray for my friends here in this together that we would worship you and be reminded that even if we have everything or even if we have nothing, if we have Jesus, we truly have it all. Receive glory in the offerings of our praise to you.